Okay, uh, take your copy of the scriptures and turn to um, right, spot here. Okay, um, John. Maybe. Go ahead. John eleven. Uh, John chapter eleven. We are in the middle of the chapter. We finished uh, first sixteen verses. Right. Uh, this. This chapter introduces us to a story that is not found in any of the other gospels, right? And as I've set up for you, and as you see on your as you see on your notes there, not to reiterate what well, we've been over the last uh, couple of weeks now, I guess that we've been in this chapter. Um, but just to set the stage again for us, uh, when you read in, in the four gospels about the triumphal entry, what's popularly known as triumphal entry. Uh, I like the term presentation of the king. Okay. But when Jesus rides into Jerusalem and there's this enthusiastic welcoming of all these people, it seems a little out of place, right? Both with what's come before, with the sort of the gospels as it presents Jesus's declining popularity, especially among the leaders, but also generally uh, among a lot of the people of the nation. And, um, and then and then it's just like there's this boom, this spike in popularity when all these people in the Passover, around Passover, they're, they're coming into Jerusalem early, getting ready for the feast, right? There's a lot of people visiting from other places, and they enthusiastically welcome the Lord into Jerusalem. And uh, it seems a little out of place, especially when not just a few days later, Seemingly, the same people are saying, crucify him. We want to have this man to reign over us, right? And so John, writing this gospel about 50 years after these events, and, and probably several decades after the writing of the first three gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, John is writing this many years later, and I believe we're seeing hints in the, in the text as, as the uh, apostle and teacher in the church that he was for many years he had probably answered a lot of questions people had about the first three gospels and so we see that in the writing of, of his gospel here which is sort of a follow-up uh, to those gospels and this is certainly true in this chapter chapter 11. thank you dad you're a good man i don't care what david said earlier you get your you get the notes there, bro. You want David? You get a note? I do. Okay. All right, there you go. All right, all right. So, bottom line here is not take too much time on this because it's all explained in, in the notes here. Uh, actually, the prior set of notes I think is where we talk about that the setting the stage for the raising of Lazarus. Those notes, uh, check. Um, this is the most significant public sign that Jesus did, okay? Jesus did a lot of very miraculous things in full view of whoever was there, okay? And in some cases, tens of thousands of people saw the same miracle, like in the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, the scriptures tell us it's 5,000 men, including women and children. So if you do your math, most scholars think it was probably on the conservative side, 20,000, probably realistically around 25,000 people Think about that, that Jesus fed with a small loaf and 
and uh, loaves and fish, right? Just a small lunch. It's pretty amazing, right? Uh, the calming of the storm, like we just recently covered in Mark in the Bible study, uh, things like that. But this is, and I'm making the argument that this is the most significant public miracle that he did, public sign. Okay, I like the term sign better. But, um, and I say public because remember that his resurrection was the most significant one of all, but it wasn't public. He didn't just come out of the tomb and then immediately uh, show himself in the temple. He appeared, to, and we we're talking about this recently with my wife. Uh, I, all the evidence I can see is that post-resurrection, he appeared to his small band of believers, okay, only on Sundays, which is interesting, okay, if you've thought about it. It wasn't like just hanging around, talking to people and stuff. It was very, it was very private, very private, very interesting, okay, but it's another topic for another time. This raising of Lazarus is the most public, is the most significant public miracle that he did. Why? He had, yes, yeah, the audience was very, was very important, but, um, and that, that's true, but it showed beyond any question whatsoever that he had the power of life. That's right. Four days dead. No doubt he was dead. The aroma comes out. It's clear. The smell of death is there. Uh, he had raised people before, but as Rick said, they had recently died. And it could be argued by some that, well, maybe they were just in a coma or resuscitated. But this one's very clear. All right. So the reason that John goes, look at this chapter. I mean, it is long chapter. It's, I haven't counted all the other chapters, but it is definitely one of the longest ones in the gospel. Next one, 12 is 50 verses. This is 57 verses long. Okay. Why so much attention to this one thing, this one miracle, right? I mean, the thousands of miracles. Why this one? Because of the significance, but also because he wants us, and I think this is what we're going to see today, he, he wants us, there's a significant message in this for us, okay? And that's the title of the notes that we're looking at. I am the resurrection and the life, okay? And the setup for all of that simply boils down to this, that the key word here is believe. And so the Lord shows us, he takes a, uh, sorry, John takes a lot of time to set, it's almost like a movie script, really. You know, you can just, you can really kind of see the disciples and Jesus talking back and forth about, you know, Jesus staying two days and, and then Mary, you know, Martha coming out to challenge him when he comes and, and, and Mary and, and, then, and they got the, the, the Jews there and the hired women who are mourning for him, you know, all of this mourning going on and everything. Uh, it's by the way, their funerals lasted kind of like their weddings that lasted for about a week. Funerals could last for that long, uh, but they're four days into this, this whole thing. Anyway. So it's like a movie script, and you get this whole ramp-up period where people are wrestling with unbelief. The miracle itself only takes two or three verses, boom. And then you have the results afterwards, all of the consequences of unbelief, okay? So people beforehand, it's interesting in the story, John focuses on his believers and his friends, so Mary and Martha, 
okay and then and then afterwards his enemies and how they and how they respond to it looking back at the miracle itself okay um so the whole chapter really revolves around belief um and that and the ultimate proof of that is raising him from the dead this is a man from god there's no doubt about it okay only god can do that satan can't duplicate that miracle this is not a a, a medical um you know, as great as our medicine is today, we can't raise people from the dead. <laughs> we can't even stop them from dying no. many times, right? I mean, ultimately. Exactly. There's a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. Um, so all of that is, is context to say that by the time we get to the uh, triumphal entry, the enthusiasm of all these people in Jerusalem has been stoked by this miracle that happened just a few days, maybe a week prior to that. Okay. And so we'll get into that a little bit more, but this is very, very significant. This, this miracle, this sign, and it explains a lot. And of course the centerpiece of it is belief. And, and the centerpiece of that message of belief is verses 25 and 26, which we looked at last time. I won't belabor that. That's on your notes. But we will get back to that as we get through the text itself, where Jesus apparently has a contradiction, right? It says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Well, which is it? Right? Which is it? You know, do you? You say, on one hand, people who believe in you will never die, but then if they do die, then they'll live again. I've got it backwards, but you understand what I'm saying? You know, which is it? It doesn't make sense unless you understand that he's talking about two resurrections. Okay, so that's explained there a little bit in the notes, and we'll get we'll get we'll come back around to visit that in the text itself. The last thing I want to I want to cover here now. And then we'll get into the text here is um, the last paragraph or last section on your notes on the back side, page two of your notes. Okay. The section's titled Belief in Chapter 11. And I've kind of set it up already for us. The key idea, and we're, we're, on, the, we're on the notes now, right? Everybody with me? Okay. Last little section here. The key idea throughout this chapter is belief in Jesus to be who he says he is and to do what he says he will do. Knowing this helps, and I should, I inserted the word on my edit, us understand, okay? So knowing this helps us understand the reason for his delay, the reason for his strong emotional response and the results in both believers and in unbelievers. The verses addressing this are 14 and 15, 25 and 26, three times in that statement. That's why I say that's the core of the, the really the, the core or the center of gravity for the chapter is verses 25 and 26. Not really the raising of Lazarus so much as it is that powerful statement that he makes about being resurrection and life. Okay. So in that, in that section, that word belief or its relatives like believing or whatever is mentioned three times, 27, 40, 42, 45, and 48. Okay, so 
Look for that as we go through, and I'll try to highlight that, highlight this as we go along. The verses we've already covered, um, like I say there, verses 14 and 15, where, where look at what Jesus says. He explains the reason for delaying, right? The message came, Jesus loves them, so he gets up immediately and runs. No, 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 he waits two more days. The disciples are probably scratching their heads on one hand, but on the other hand, they're not really anxious to go back down to Judea where he just recently, they, they just recently tried to stone him, right? You read the tail end of chapter 10 and you see that and they remind him of that. And they're like, Lord, didn't they just try to kill you down there and you want to go back? Right. So um, verses um, 14 and 15, he explains the reason for his delaying. He says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Why? Once chose glory. But well, what, what does he say there? So that you may believe. So that you may believe. That you may believe. Because they didn't believe, did they? They were still struggling with their belief. Okay? They were still struggling with their belief. We, we, we tend sometimes maybe to think that the disciples had it all together. <laughs> oh, boy. No, 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 no. Um, they they struggled. They they knew he was the Messiah, but he wasn't the Messiah that they were looking for. This this will become even more apparent as we get into chapters thirteen through through sixteen, where he really has to work it into them to believe, and and he really ultimately ends up turning them over to the Father in chapter seventeen, saying, "Father, protect them. I'm going to go to the cross, and while I while I was in the world, I protected those you've given me." Right, but I'm coming, they're going to the cross and they're going to be kind of out of my physical presence and purview, right? And, and he, he asked the Father to protect them. Uh, and by the way, that's, that really is how we believe too, right? And, and savingly, persistently believe is that God holds on to us, right? Chapter 10, both the Father and the Son have us in my hand. No one can take them out of my Father's hand. hand. No one is greater than my Father, right? That is a great thought so we're going to introduce that song if i can when i get around to it uh, he will hold me fast really like that song sing as a congregation all right so uh notice but notice in verses 14 15 i'm glad i was not there because so that you may believe but let us go to him okay so that is, there's our first hint of this main theme of this chapter all right so let's get into very very simple outline here this reads more like a like a movie text than it does, you know, Romans, where Paul is giving us this great, you know, theology or something. Right? This is this is like a script. Um, so I just, without trying to be real fancy in the outline here, I just broke it down to these three sections. The first one is John explains the scene as Jesus arrives at Bethany. Okay. Verses seventeen through nineteen. Somebody read that for us, please. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been, already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them when they lost their brother. Okay, thank you. What's important here is, again, the context. John's really taking a lot of time to set up everything. He wants us to know what mind frame the disciples are in, right? I mean, the verse right before, Thomas is like, well, let us go and die with him, right? Some translations capitalize him and some don't, okay? 
Um, and and uh, so it's kind of a little bit of a debate as to whether Thomas is referring to Lazarus or referring to Jesus. I think it's pretty clear given the whole context that he's referring to Jesus. And Thomas was like, you know, because the disciples were like, are you sure you want to go back down? And Tom, and they're just like, and I think Thomas expresses what the rest of them are thinking is, okay, well, fine. We'll just go, we'll just all go die together, you know? <laughs> but the verses right before that, Jesus uses that, remember that little proverb, it's a little hard to, for us to understand. Are there not 12 hours in the day, right? That whole thing. And, and what he's saying is, is that, that God is sovereign. God is in control. And while God is, while, while, while the, the opportunities, while the Father's plan is for Jesus and the disciples to have free reign to do their ministry, even in the midst of their enemies, their enemies can't touch them, right? And he just got through saying that, and Thomas turns around and says, well, let's just go and die with him, okay? Unbelief, right? They're wrestling, they're wrestling with their faith. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but boy, I vividly remember just a month and a half ago, two months ago, when we were in, remember, we were in Solomon's porch in the mm -hmm. temple, and this angry mob surrounds us, and they're ready to stone you and us too. Remember that? See that tension there. Disciples have that tension. We're going to see that with Martha here and Mary too as well, right? So verse 17, now when Jesus came, so he's arrived finally, four days later, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days, right? The Jews, when somebody died, um, they, they, the Egyptians are famous for doing what to their dead? Embalming them, right? And I've actually seen, been to museums and seen the mummies, okay? And it is quite amazing to think that this body you're looking at is thousands of years old, you know? Um, they did a really good job, but the Jews didn't do that. What they would do instead is cover the body and the cloth sometimes that it was wrapped in, but cover the body with with uh, strong smelling, um, not negatively smelling, okay, not odorous, but 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 strong ointments or oils uh, that would cover the stench of death for a while uh, until. You know, obviously everything takes over and completely falls apart. And then they would, of course, wrap it um, in grave, grave cloths, which we're going to see later once Lazarus comes out. He has to be loosed from those. Jesus himself was wrapped in this and prepared his body in a similar way, right? And so <clears throat> the Jews would do that. And so when it says that he was um, in the tomb four days, uh, that once somebody died, they would not let them... It's not like an Irish wake where they lay the body out for three days before they get around and burying it, right? They would bury them quickly. And they would prepare the body quickly and put him in the tomb. So he had not only been, he may possibly have been dead just a little longer than that, maybe four and a half days or so, okay? Um, the point is that this is, he's in the tomb for a long period of time, well past the period where the spices would be able to hide that odor, okay? And that's important. Again, John gives us all these details for a reason. They're all very important. Uh, so he found that he'd been in the tomb four days. Look at verse 18. Bethany is this little town. Now we've talked about Bethany already, but John gives the specific details. Near Jerusalem, about how far away? 
Two miles. You want to show it on the map? Well, it's hard to because it's so close to Jerusalem. Not on there. Uh, but Jerusalem is right there. And uh, there's a couple little triangles around in there. And, and they don't even mention Bethany because it's so small and so close to Jerusalem at this scale, it'd be hard to, to see that. Okay. How long did it take him to get there? But we don't know exactly where he was. Remember that he said, John opened the chapter by saying that that Jesus went was was in the area where John the Baptist started his ministry. And we're not exactly clear where that is. Uh, many think it's in Berea, but see how big Berea is. It's going to be somewhere in the Jordan. I think that the likely location was up in here. Okay. And this is a friendly area. People are very warm to Jesus. Many of them are believing, right? And the disciples are very happy, you know. A clam at high tide. Let's stay here, right? Anyway, so it wasn't it wasn't a long, long journey down down there. They could probably make that in a day if you really hustled. Maybe maybe spend the night along the way. Um, but uh, anyway, the point is that Bethany here is two miles away from Jerusalem. It's basically a suburb of Jerusalem. Okay, what we would call a suburb today, and. Uh, it doesn't necessarily say this, but I I kind of suspect that cities then are kind of like cities now, where you know you have the wealthy people after a city really starts to get populated and and, and choked with traffic and all of that kind of stuff, and you have surrounding areas that are beautiful. They're still within easy distance to the city, but they're beautiful locations and and they're kind of away from the crowds, a little more out in the country. That can be prime real estate, right? And uh, it, it, my my belief that that's the case because it's pretty clear in the text here, as well as other the other gospels, that um, Martha especially was wealthy. Martha, Mary, and Martha, Lazarus were a wealthy family. They were well connected, and I think that's why we see that the Jews came. Right? We're going to see that here. Um, so, not making too much of a noise about that, except that we know that Martha had a house, and it was a evidently a fairly significant house. It was enough. To, to accommodate this large crowd of people and mourners. By the way, there were professional mourners that we're going to see, right? These were, this was one of the ways that, uh, one acceptable ways that, that a woman could earn <coughs> some extra money on the side was by being a professional mourner. And so they would, well, again, a sign of wealth that, that she was able to hire these women to come. And then there's this, this whole crowd of, of Jewish, influential Jewish people that also come there, and they had been there for a while. So they have a, she has a, a house large enough to accommodate them, has enough food to do that. And by the way, when in the other gospels, when it talks about Martha, you know, getting upset because, you know, tell my sister to get up here and help me in the kitchen, right? That whole thing. Um, it wasn't, Martha was not doing that by herself. She had a staff. Okay? She was upset because her sister wasn't helping. We understand that. But anyway, from a human perspective. All right. This all making sense? Okay, so point is, look at how close Bethany is. It's very close to where? Jerusalem, the heart of the nation, the place where the Jews, being the, remember that in the gospel now, John, when he uses that term, the Jews, in his gospel here, he's referring to the Jewish leaders. Specifically, the influential people. These would be members of the Sanhedrin. 
uh, Pharisees, chief priests, or members. A chief priest was not just one office. We're going to actually see that in the chapters later. In chapter 18, it talks about the high priest, and it's a little confusing because it mentions Annas and then it mentions Caiaphas. But the truth is it was an office and, and sort of co-occupied by uh, at least several people, even though there was one official person there. But the point is that the chief priest, also known in the other Gospels as Sadducees, okay, for the most part, describes these were the ruling class of the Jewish nation. They were the top, okay, the wealthy, the one percenters, we would say today. And that's what we see next here in verse 19, that many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. That's significant. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Because what John is doing here is setting up for us the scene where you have a lot of wealthy people, even those that are part of this class, the Jews, that have been so antagonistic to Jesus. But there are many members of that class there. They know Mary and Martha and Lazarus, which is another hint that we get that they were wealthy because these people wouldn't come. These wealthy Jewish aristocratic people would not go out of their way to console Mary and Martha if they didn't have some influence. I guarantee you, if they were just poor run of the mill, you know, you see what I'm saying? Hey, I got a question. Yes. Um, so because they were had money, they didn't get thrown out of the synagogue like others who believed in Jesus? We don't know. Because I thought know. that's what they did. If you were a follower of Jesus, they kicked you out of the church. Well, it's true that that, that, is, that is true. Actually, that, that sentence doesn't really come... Uh, well, it did. I'm sorry. But back in chapter 9, they did kick the blind man out. Right. right? Yes. And they had threatened to do that. Because he um, must have not had any money, so they didn't care about him. The official wanted poster mm -hmm. for Jesus doesn't come until after this event, though. Okay. They really get serious about it. But that's a great point. And that probably shows a little hypocrisy on the part of the system, right? Where it's easier to kick out a man born blind who doesn't have anything anyway because he's just a beggar than it is to kick out Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who are pretty, you know, I'm sure they're, they were quite helpful to the local synagogue. Yes, they were, they were, <laughs> they were really uh, putting the roof on the synagogue uh, with well, their wealth. Yeah. <laughs> you, remember, you remember the widow of you know, how they just put money in to make a king? King, you know, they just nicholas. So that's what they like to hear. They, it, it was all about the money. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because she put a little mind in it. It didn't make a lot of noise, but these other people are dumping bags of yeah. So it's all about the money. They like that money. They like that prestige. Yeah, even Jews today like the money. No. So do Gentiles. Gentiles. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Well, it's, it's kind of a stereotype. Why is that? Why is it a stereotype? Let's talk about that. Okay, okay. we'll talk about that. <laughs> Stay on track here. Go ahead. Well, no, I just thought it was interesting that all because um, Mary and Martha won't um, mean they believe in Jesus and they believe in you know what he's doing and that. The Pharisees and Sadducees are the ones that are trying to debunk him, and they don't like him. And it's just really interesting that, um, like, I mean, I guess they weren't, I don't know if Mary and Monica was were spreading the gospel at that time or not, or Jesus, would they believe in Jesus? But I just thought it was really interesting that, you know, like you were saying, the hypocrisy that they're there, 
know, and I wonder if Mary and Martha are like talking about Jesus to them, and they're just like, all right, whatever, like just you know, <laughs> like just that mix, you know, of strong believers, and and then they're getting along, you know. Glad you're thinking that way, okay? Because the thing you said is 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 good, and, and I think that helps us understand the the mind frame that Martha and Mary mark this now. Both sisters independently, when Jesus finally shows up, they they Martha especially unloads on him a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And, and Mary does too. Mary's like, they both say effectively the same thing. Lord, if only you'd been here. And what's interesting also, we're going to see in the text, is that the other people have been saying the same thing. Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind have healed him? Yeah, so they're trying right? to talk them out of believing in him, like saying, oh, this is my mission of all Where's your Jesus? Yeah, that's a great point. Where's your Jesus? Why isn't he showing up? Yes. That's not for their benefit, so. You see that the stage of being set is for the prominent Jews to see this, to show them that he is who he is. And that's why when you just said the woman told her, because it really, this just, that broke the camel's back. When all this is said and done, I'm not trying to take your stuff away, but when all that, that what hit me when I, when I did a little study on this, that's what broke the camel's back was once he, because they were like, okay, like she said, I think what they were saying is like, okay, where's your Jesus now? Where's he at now? Why didn't they do that? Because you know it was a moment. And all of a sudden he appears, and this happens, they're like, oh my gosh. Now all the all the all the eyes are going to Jesus. And all the people that had possibly doubt, those that were on the fence, and we know that we see that through all gospel, those people that's on the fence, those that even ridiculed hate him, those that I think there would have been a tremendous amount of heart change during this event. Sin. Seeing what what had happened to Lazarus, Lazarus was well known, Mary was well known. All of a sudden, Jesus had resurrected him, brought him back to life. Now there are these people that are going, okay, we know Jesus is this. Wow, this, 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 what he's saying, what he does is 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 true. But I really think the main purpose, the main purpose for the Jewish, the, the elite, the elite, to see what they did was they they had to be super super bad because it was not going to be a Roman a Roman execution. It was not going to be by stoning. It was going to be by, I mean, yeah, it was going to be not by stoning death. It was going to be a crucifixion. And who, who was who crucified? Who, who did all the crucifying? Romans. The Romans. I had that back. But it wasn't going to be. They, they, they were so mad. But I think that was why the stage was set for that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Something else? Well, no, it just, it just reminded me, like, you know, like that point, like, you know, well, God's here now. You know, like. <laughs> Like, no matter what you think, kind of like, I don't know, it just reminded me like when um, before the, you know, the exile of, um, you know, the Jewish exile when um, God was talking out all their little gods, they're like, oh, you want a problem? But there's like five million of them. <laughs> and he was just like, I'm here now. <laughs> watch this. Yeah, watch this. You are um, believers kind of thing. <laughs> it's hard not to miss the takeaway though, because Again, John set so much time, spent so much effort to set this up and put us in the mindset because we struggle with the same thing. Yeah. We do. Okay. Dory and I were just talking yesterday, even, you know, about, um, you know, here we are 2,000 years later. Peter writes about this in, in, in 
his epistles too, where he's like, scoffers will come in the last days. Where is the promise of his coming? You say Jesus is coming. Where is he? You know, you say he's going to straighten the world out. It's a pretty big mess. Where is he? Right? 2,000 years, where, you know, tick tock, where's your Messiah? Okay. Where's your Jesus? So, and we, we, lest, lest we be too hard on the disciples and Mary and Martha, we believers in Jesus struggle with that same tension, all right? Where on the one hand, I know God can do this in this situation, but on the other hand, there's this delay. <laughs> and it's like, what are you waiting on? You know? Why don't you do this now? Why don't you, and we want to pray our prayer, snap our eyes open, and boom, you know, the answer falls from heaven. Right? And the miracle is done, or the provision is there, whatever it is. The car starts, you know, uh, if you have a super, and uh, whatever it is, right? We want that instantly. But the lesson here is belief that Jesus is looking for doesn't work that way, right? It's understanding, it understands that God will do what he wants to do in his time and in his way. And here's here's another thing I think we really have to catch. Um, this is interesting, okay? Because Mary and Martha come, they had already sent word. In other words, they had effectively prayed to Jesus, right? And, uh, the, and notice, remember the message was the one who you love is sick, right? Reminding him, pulling a little bit on the heartstrings, and you know the Lord. Don't you? I know you love him, and all of this. And I think they were very disappointed because he didn't come when they wanted him to. And in a sense, when you sit around, and you stew on it, especially in an environment where you have a lot of other naysayers that are running down Jesus anyway, pulling on your faith. Um, you know, it, it, it can get to the point where you're really disappointed. And I, I, I find in my own life that my disappointment in Jesus and in God often stems from me putting words in his mouth that he never said, believing promises that he never made, and then holding him to it and then being bitter when I don't get what I think he, you know, that I, that I asked for, that I owe, or that I thought he said. So this is why it's very, very important for us to study the Bible and to really know this book inside and out because it will keep us from putting words in his mouth, things that he never said. Okay? The thing we have faith in, two things we have faith in is his character and his promises. If he says he's going to do something, you can take it to the bank. Okay? We know generally in other areas in which he's silent that his character is good that he is good right we know he's a good god we say that god is good all the time right and so we do have promises like romans eight twenty eight, that god works together all things all things together for good to those who love him call for his purpose so in those areas in which it doesn't seem like the good is happening you know that behind that though is a good god who has promised to work it out for your good and for his glory. Okay? No. It looks like the stage is being set by Jesus to put himself into the position of being the unspoken help that is not able to take care of the situation or is not willing to take care of the situation. 
which is a non-threatening environment, which you is not threatened by that. But when he raised it from the dead, they were threatened very quickly and they decided to do it. That's right. All right, so um, again, belief, belief, belief is a big part of this. And believing in Jesus doesn't just mean when he answers your prayers the way you want him to, okay? But to summarize it this way, and I have to listen, folks, I have to remind myself of this all the time. And there are times that Dory and I struggle, you know, in, a, in, in, in our own faith or situation with family members or friends or whatever. And it's just like, you know, it's like, why doesn't the Lord do this? Why, why is it? And I have to say to me and to her, let God be God. The Bible also says in John 14 and 16, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. That's it's not a blank check, though. It's not a blank check. We will see that when we get there. The same, same one who, same author, human author, also wrote in 1 John that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, Comes with the proviso that it must be according to his will. So I would think salvation of others will be in his will. Well, yeah. It is his will. But for others, for some, not all. It's only but um, none should perish. But we also know that there are few who find it, right? Gate is narrow. Gate is narrow. Many are on the broad way, few are on the narrow way. Christ, Christ died. died for all. Sometimes that verse is the only thing that keeps me going. You know, if I if I don't have that verse, that if I ask, he will give it to me. I don't think I can make it to another day. No. I need that verse to be true. That he's gonna answer my prayer. Okay, I'm well let, let the verse be true, not what you want it to be true, but be true on its own, what it means. Let, let, let the word of God speak for itself. Or let, it God let, be God. let God be God. Let him be God. All right, so then many of the Jews, and we're done here, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. They they were they these were not only wealthy people, but they were they were dear friends of a lot of influential people in Jerusalem. And we lose sight of that. We, we don't know who these who Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus uh, were, but now you get a little more insight into them. Okay? They were wealthy, well-connected people who were very close. They moved in, in high-ranking society. Uh, that's, that's uh, we almost could say Martha was a socialite. That's kind of uh, the way that we think of it now, a wealthy socialite. And Mary too, perhaps. Although I think this, the hints are in Scripture that Martha was the one mainly who controlled the money. She's always named first here. You can see that verse 19, or almost always. Martha and Mary. Okay. It's hard to do that. It's hard to let God be God. Hard to let him be God. But you have his promise. He is working all things together for good. What? Those who love him, call according to his purpose. 
and he's working for his glory. <clears throat> Well, there's good good discussion this morning. Uh, hard topic. Uh, almost feel like we could write a, a little book off of this. That's uh, that's titled "When Jesus Disappoints." Um, we've all faced that, and I think we need to be honest in church about that. It's not all rah rah, pep rally. We are very excited about what you've done and, and promises that we enjoy and the work that you're doing in our hearts. And yet, there are times of deep disappointment as well. When we when we see what's going on in the nation, when we see what's going on in our own families, our own, our own houses, and, and yet we're reminded of your words that uh, that you came not to bring peace but a sword and return members, uh, a man's enemies would be the members of his own household. Uh, and, and that was certainly true in the early church where, where households were divided over Jesus. Even people living under the same roof couldn't agree. And uh, <clears throat> we see that as well today. But I thank you that you are our sovereign. And always have been and always will be. And, and are now. And, uh, and as we prayed earlier, we pray again for our nation. pray again for our, our families, our households, for this church, for other churches uh, in this area. That you would, would take what appears to be dead and give it new. Only you can do that. Our nation, in some respects, seems like it's completely gone and there's no hope for it. But I know that you can change that. The same one who stood outside Lazarus' tomb and spoke and the dead man came out can also speak and open many hearts in our nation. And we'd love to see that. We'd love to see it in our homes as well, where you can take our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and you can open many hearts. We ask that you would. We uh, want to be patient in your timing, your way, in Jesus' name.